I'll be reading Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you. of serve as a pastor here at this church. You may be wondering, why is the stage here? This is not the norm, and it's because the school is putting on a Christmas production, I think, on Friday or Thursday of this week. And so we are benefiting from their putting the stage in place and, and everything else. So it's weird for us to be at this level. You might resent us now of being or trying to preach from this level, I'm not sure, but uh, it's not, uh, not the norm by any means. So uh, would you pray with me as we get into uh, God's Word, especially as we look at the meaning of Christmas? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we seek you, we honor you, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for undertaking the ultimate demotion, arriving to earth as the God-man on that first Christmas day. And you came to make a way for us to be saved and changed through your cross and resurrection. We're grateful. Empower me to speak your words today. And Holy Spirit, I want to be used of you and and want you to be the center, Lord Jesus, of everything that is said here this morning. Through Christ we pray. Amen. When it comes to Christmas, I'm sure you've heard those Christian cliches that are associated with Christmas, and they're said every single year, like, Jesus is the reason for the season, and put Christ back into Christmas. And as annoying as they are, they are in fact true. I really believe, you know, it's the church's job to to remind everybody that, you know, Christ is the reason. Jesus is indeed the reason for the season. And I want you to now picture in your minds as we move towards uh, our scripture for today, a Christmas tree. Imagine a Christmas tree. You might have one in your home uh, up as we speak. And I want you to imagine there's six Christmas gifts under the tree for you and for us, for me, for everybody. And this is what we're looking at. Six Christmas truth gifts given to us by God. And we see these truth gifts that uh, are given to us in the very scripture that Lucy just read for us in verse 6. Incredibly, those words that Lucy said to us uh, were said by the prophet Isaiah uh, 700 years before Jesus came and the Christ of Christmas came. And, and uh, Isaiah announced this coming Savior was coming. And he said, unto us a child is born. And what we see in that is a couple of things. First of all, only God could orchestrate human history in such a way that he would send a prophet to foretell with great detail and accuracy that Jesus was coming and the Christmas was coming. Unto us a child is born. And so we should trust the Bible as a result. Uh, the Bible is very supernatural, very prophetic, very true, absolutely true in every way. But we also noticed that 
yes, the Bible is true. Only God could make something come true 700 years in advance of it happening. But we also see in that that God's got a predetermined rescue plan for humanity. And each of us then needs to make a choice. Are we going to be a part of receiving this rescue plan and the rescue associated with it or not? So let's get to work. We're going to look at six things. And the first uh, gift that we see in our notes is based on uh, uh, verse 6, which says, "For To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that leads us to number one in your notes, simply that Jesus is our ultimate gift. Jesus is our ultimate gift. If you have a highlighter or a pen or a pencil, maybe it's on your Bible app, would you highlight those words to us? Two words, to us, to us. So to you, to me, Jesus was born. For the entire human race, the greatest gift in human history was given. And when we think about really totally awesome Christmas gifts, I, what first comes to my mind in this idea of ultimate gift I've shared this before, is someone in the church a few years ago gave me a great gift. And that gift was a huge, massive pack of pre-cooked Kirkland bacon from Costco. And I don't know if you've ever had that. Now, I've never really done the pre- previous to that, I've never done the pre-cooked bacon thing. But now I realize it is awesome. Pre-cooked bacon is brilliant. Um, and just, it took me weeks to finish this thing off. And, and by the way, please don't give me any bacon. I don't need any more bacon in my life because I got to try to, I don't want to die sooner than I should. Um, but anyhow, that was an amazing gift. And, uh, but it, w- it was only after and under every gift that my wife has given me. Well, then the bacon is beneath that, of course, just to cover all the bases. But what about you? Maybe you got that new barbecue, new diamond ring, new diamond earrings. Can you imagine? Maybe you got a new car. That happens sometimes. New house. Wouldn't that be amazing? Or a video, video game system with NHL 20, whatever it is. Or maybe you had a baby in and around uh, the time of Christmas and, you know, you, a little Christmas miracle showed up for you just in time. And, and you know how this works. There's no one more cute or more precious or more intelligent and amazing than your own little baby. Because why is that? Well, they're just like you. Okay, that's why they're so amazing. Anyhow, trumping all of these amazing gifts we have received comes the ultimate gift. And the ultimate gift is, is God himself. God himself taking on human flesh, taking on the form of a little baby initially, arriving in that way, and he comes because he's given for you. He is a gift for you. I want to share what Max Lucado, he says about this mind-blowing Bible doctrine called the Incarnation. And the Incarnation is really amazing. It's God taking on flesh. And he writes, the omnipotent, which means the all-powerful one, the omnipotent in one instant became breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And I want you to, to let's trace that out and, and tease that out. You know, the, really the earth-shattering implications of, of God taking on human flesh, God becoming initially a baby boy. Imagine God wearing a diaper. Can you imagine that? God wearing a diaper or whatever form a diaper took in ancient times. They certainly had something like a diaper. But imagine God wearing a diaper. And then God needing his diaper changed by his parents. And then God needing to be nursed by his own mother. And even before the diapers and the nursing occurred, imagine here's God floating around in the amniotic fluid 
within his mother's womb. That's amazing to think about that God would put himself in amniotic fluid like that. It's just amazing. But the question is, why would God do this? Why would God lower himself, ultimate demotion, leave the comforts of heaven and, and the beauty of heaven and all the benefits of it? It doesn't get any better than heaven. God the Son left heaven. Why would he do that with this ultimate demotion to become this fleshy little baby? Well, here's why. He undertook the, the ultimate demotion for you, for us, for me. He came to become our human representative as the God-man. And then later, when he became an adult, he then lived our perfect life for us in our place. He later died on the cross for our sins in our place. He paid the full wages of sin, which is death. He was punished, judged for us. That is why he came. And then he rose again three days later. So I'm just saying to you, to you, to you, to you, Jesus was given. Because without baby Jesus coming on that first ever Christmas day, without him coming to the world for us, we all would be doomed. We all would be hopeless. We all would be damned forever because our sins would remain upon us and we ourselves would have to pay for those sins. But thanks to Jesus, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to pay for those sins. That's good news. I want to share with, uh, with you what the great Puritan scholar, uh, Matthew Henry, he says these words about this idea of the incarnation. He says, Christ being born, given to us, is the great foundation of, of our hopes and fountain of our joys in times of greatest grief and fear. So I'm asking you, in the middle of some hard times, dark, trying times, whatever you're facing, um, you might be new to Christianity, you might be old to Christianity, I don't know where you're at, but all of us need to be reminded or discovered for the first time. you got to see God, there he is in heaven, reaching down, extending his hand, and on his hand, if you will, is God the Son, his own Son. And reaching down, here's, here's my, he's saying to us, here's my rescue plan. Here's the one I'm giving you to save you and rescue you from yourselves, to, to take you out of this quagmire of sin in which we've created for ourselves and, and messed up the world. And here's the, the Christ child. He's, giving, he's here to give you hope. He's here to, to give you a new identity, which makes you something new in, in the sight of God and a new future. You're now acceptable by God. And to God, you are approved of by God. Thanks to Jesus. Thanks to the, the Christ of Christmas. And he just expects us to repent of our sins, believe in the gospel, and be baptized by our own choice. So the gift is there for the taking. Will you take the gift? Will you take the gift? So to recap, that's the first truth gift I want to share with you. Jesus is your ultimate gift. Best gift ever, right? Let's keep reading verse 6. And then it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That, that's number two truth gift in your notes, that Jesus, this is a weird point. It sounds weird. It's actually amazing. Jesus is our ultimate government. Jesus is our ultimate government. How's the temperature in here, by the way? I'm feeling nothing but heat right where I'm standing. Is it a little warm? I don't know what's going on. Weird stuff's happening this morning. It's like, welcome to the Mercy Hill Church slash Twilight Zone. I'm not sure what it is. But anyhow, hang in there. You know, heat is not a good thing when you're trying to listen to someone talk because you're just starting to get lulled to sleep. Okay, so best of luck there. If you need more coffee, you know, it's there. Anyhow, I should move on. Jesus is our ultimate government. Now, uh, can you imagine yourself saying, 
I just love my government. I love. I'm obsessed with my... Okay, that's a bad choice of word. I just love my government. It's awesome. Sounds wrong. Sounds wrong. I mean, all we do is complain about our government. Or maybe we should. I don't know what we should do. But anyhow, as you may know, Canada enjoys a much better government than most nations in the world because we tend to not be as corrupt as as most and many nations in the world. But, you know, our government still has its problems. Uh, they're human. They're, they're sinful. They still make mistakes. And, and then there's corruption. And then there's scandal. And then there's power plays. Then there's ego. A lot of ego and a lot of ambition and, and partisanship. And worst of all, and this is what really irks me, is the wasting of taxpayer dollars. I don't like that. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you can say with a clear conscience, I love my government. You can say that. It's incredible. Here's why. Jesus is the head of our government, head of the kingdom, king of the kingdom, kingdom of God. He is ruling right now, right now. Jesus is ruling over the entire universe. He is the king of kings. He is the prime minister of prime ministers. He is the president of all presidents. He is large and in charge. And you see, the mantle of God's ultimate government and his kingdom have been placed upon Jesus' shoulders. It's an incredible government that he's in charge of because unlike human government, here we have Jesus as the king of kings. He is true. He doesn't lie to us. He is reliable. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't make, forego his promises to us. Jesus is corruption-free. He doesn't view you or me as simply a social insurance number. We're not a number to Jesus. No, we're his kids, and he knows us by name. And this is a government that protects us, cares for us, uh, prevents evil from overcoming us. And then in the future, this, this government will finally become, faith becomes sight. We can see this government. We can see with our own eyes how Jesus is king of kings. And we then get to enjoy this new heavens and new earth that Jesus is currently preparing for us. And faith becomes sight. And that's what we get to enjoy for all eternity. This ultimate government. It's amazing. What this also means is, you know, if Jesus can shoulder this responsibility, if he can take charge of the universe, can he not then shoulder any challenge, problem, issue, burden that you may be bearing uh, this Christmas season. You know, Christmas Christmas is an emotional time for a lot of people, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. Give your burdens, cast your cares on Him, cast your anxieties on Jesus, who is more than capable to help you bear those burdens. He is our ultimate government. Let's look again at verse 6 to, to discover our next truth gift. It says, And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's our third truth gift in our notes, simply Jesus, is our wonderful counselor. Surprise! There it is. Now, for a lot of people, uh, who comes to mind when you think of amazing counselors and famous counselors, wonderful counselors, you might be thinking of Dr. Phil. And Dr. Phil's still on the scene. He's got a big podcast kind of thing, and he's ironically become a big advocate of pro, uh, free speech. Uh, but anyhow, he's still doing his thing. And you might think of, oh, he must be, he's an amazing, wonderful uh, counselor. And it's funny when you hear the podcast and you hear the, the or see the show on TV, you got people there, they just love Dr. Phil. They just want to absorb all the wisdom that he can sort of share with them. But then, you know, the, the conversation starts with Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil starts 
you know, he's asking some probing kind of personal questions and he's starting to confront their behavior and, and some of their, their issues. And then they don't think Dr. Phil is quite as wonderful as he once was. wonder why that is. But anyhow, in saying Jesus is your wonderful counselor, is the Bible suggesting that Jesus is serving like your Dr. Phil? Is Jesus your Dr. Phil? Is Jesus your, your shrink, your psychologist, your psychiatrist? Is that the kind of help that Jesus uh, gives to us as our wonderful counselor? Well, let me, let me explain this. The answer, in short, is, is basically no, okay? What you need to know is the book of Isaiah, it was written in originally, originally written in ancient Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for wonderful in this verse means beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. Additionally, counselor in Hebrew does, does not refer to a, a shrink, psychologist, psychiatrist, but it's talking about the kind of counselor that advises a king. The kind of counselor that advises a king, a king's advisor, like the PMO, Prime Minister's office, he's got all kinds of advisors who are telling him to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, in ancient times, kings uh, rose or fell based on the advice and the counsel from their, their counselors, their war counselors. And with bad counsel from those guys, things went bad. With good counsel from those good counselors, things went better, you see. And the point is, here's my point, Jesus, he is our wonderful counselor. Jesus possesses within himself unlimited resources, vast resources beyond what we can comprehend or get our minds around. Jesus knows the future and your future in absolute detail. This is the wonderful counselor that we have access to. It's amazing. Isaiah 55, it's another amazing passage where uh, he talks about how God's ways are far higher than our ways. God's ways, Jesus' ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I mean, no one instructs, no one counsels like Jesus does. When we listen, when we obey his counsel, especially as we see it written in Scripture given to us, we can be assured that things will go exactly the way that God intends. So his way is better because he can be trusted no one can be trusted more than Christ, your wonderful counselor. No one cares for you more than your wonderful counselor cares for you. No one loves you more than your wonderful counselor loves you. This is someone that you can receive great counsel and ultimate counsel from. We need that. I need that. Uh, one more aspect of this wonderful counselor uh, we see in, in Psalm 73. This is David speaking to, to God. And, and David says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. That's beautiful stuff. God is so tender. Jesus is so tender with us. Let's move on to the next truth gift. Uh, as I hope you're resisting the, the heat and the temperature here, unlike I am. Uh, but the next thing that we see in verse 6 is uh, the words, Mighty God, and that's our fourth truth gift, namely Jesus is our mighty God. He is our mighty God, uh, which is yet another verse to prove that Jesus is God the Son. I want to ask you, though, when you think of very mighty, very powerful people in our culture, in our society, uh, who are the powerful people, the mighty people that come to mind? Maybe it's Trudeau. Uh, maybe it's the Prime Minister. Maybe it's the Queen. Maybe it's, maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's the Premier of China. Uh, maybe it's local people like Jimmy Patterson. He's a billionaire. Uh, he uh, has and owns the third largest privately held company in, in all of the nation. And we may think of these people, we think, man, they're so rich, they're so powerful, they're so mighty. But yet again, 
Like Sinead O'Connor once sang, nothing compares. Nothing compares. No one compares to the mighty and divine power of Jesus. Nothing compares. I mean, how many people can walk on water? I'm not talking about water skiing, so don't try to fit that in there and say, oh, what about water skiing, okay? Like walking slowly on water. Who can do that by, under their own power? Uh, how many people can raise the dead? How many people can command storms to just go from raging to absolute quietness and tranquility in an instant? I mean, who can do that kind of stuff? Uh, only an all-powerful God can raise the dead, can calm storms vocally, verbally. Only a God, an all-powerful God, for whom nothing is impossible, can do stuff like that. And that's the Jesus that we're talking about here. I want to get a little technical again and look closely, more closely, at the Hebrew word for mighty. This Hebrew word uh, is always in connection and used in Hebrew language to warfare, warring, doing battle with others. Someone who was mighty in Hebrew times was someone who, who would help you win wars and do battle. Someone who was a champion, who was a hero. Perhaps a mighty warrior would be someone who could take out single-handedly by their own power, like Samson. Uh, take out maybe dozens and dozens of enemy soldiers by themselves. That would be a mighty warrior. Now, what about Jesus? Is Jesus that kind of warrior? Is he someone, did Jesus come to earth 2,000 years ago with a gun? No, he did not. Did Jesus come trying to do battle and, and ninja type stuff with other? No, he didn't come to do conventional type or physical kinds of warfare. But he did come, in fact, to fight. And he fought against the universe's most powerful enemies. And let me just prove this to you. I want to share with you Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And here's, here's what Jesus went to battle up against and, and showed his might uh, towards. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, and he nailing, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In fact, his weapon was the cross, you see. But do you see what the Bible's saying here in this passage? Jesus is mighty enough to rescue us from, from sin, death, hell, and Satan. He is our heroic champion. He fought on our behalf. He laid down his life breath for you, for I, because he loves us. He loves us. He did battle as our mighty warrior because he loves us. Uh, one more insightful quote on this point I want to share with you from one of the commentaries. It says, This king will have God's true might about him, power so great that it can absorb all the evil which can be hurled at him until none is left to hurl. Jesus, our King, can absorb any and all evil that is thrown towards him until none is left to throw. He is that strong. He is that mighty. Let's move on to the next part of verse 6. And this is where it says that Jesus is our everlasting Father. Our everlasting Father. And that is point number 5, that he is our everlasting Father. Now, this sounds a little weird, a little problematic here, because you might have some understanding of 
the doctrine of the Trinity. And we are big on the doctrine of the Trinity here at Mercy Hill. And in short, the doctrine of the Trinity is simply, it's hard to understand, but it is simply God in three persons. One God manifesting in three persons. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And with that doctrine of the Trinity, if you understand it correctly, you believe and know that God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Spirit, and God the Spirit is not God the Father. And so what happened in this verse here in Isaiah 9-6? Is this a Bible typo? Did Isaiah, you know, mess up somehow? And just, it's a misprint, mis misquote or something. What's the answer? Is it a typo? The answer is, no, it is not a typo. It is not a typo. Let me explain this. A better wording of the Hebrew is Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. Now, to explain, you may know that I have a family. I'm married to my wife, Tammy. I've got two kids, Isaiah and Victoria. And being their father would be saying, as their father, along with my wife, my kids physically came from us. All right, My kids came from my wife and I. And with Jesus being our source of eternity, that means he is our source of eternal life. He is our he is our eternal life. God comes to us only because of, of Jesus and his life and resurrection when we trust in him. And so in that sense, Jesus is our father of eternity because our eternal life comes from him. Does that make sense? In that sense, he is our everlasting father. And that is very hope-giving and helpful. Let's now look at our final uh, truth gift that we have under the tree, or proverbial tree, if you will. Uh, and the last thing that is said there might be the most important uh, truth that we look at is simply where Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is our Prince of Peace. And, and if you look at this passage, uh, this last title really is the climactic title that is given by Isaiah here, and probably the most important. I want to run this by you. Uh, if you ask the average person in our culture uh, what the world needs most today, what does the world need most today? What do they want most for the world they might say world peace. You know, they would say probably climate change, this and that, you know, all that kind of, some, all kinds of different ideas, but world peace is probably on their list. And so they are desiring uh, no more warfare. So no more hurting of people, no more killing of people, killing of lies. We just want world peace. The next question is, why is this such a common thing that people want in our world, a prevailing thing and popular thing? Well, I, I think it's because what people do is they watch the news and they get depressed. That's why I don't watch the news generally anymore. I get, it's very depressing. There's a lot of negative stuff going on in the world. I mean, if you just look at human history, if you look at the 20th century, uh, the bloodiest century in human history, 50 million people killed. It's just unbelievable. You can't even fathom those numbers. And if you watch the news, there, there are still terrorist attacks and there's gun violence and there's still the taking of innocent lives around the globe. And, and you're looking at the world, you're watching the news, the world's a complete disaster. The world is a mess. It's broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Now let's get back to our passage. This has really been a study in a lot of ancient Hebrew words. So I'm going to give you one more just, just to, to have some fun. The Hebrew word for peace in this text is the word shalom. And this is an amazing word. The word shalom means completeness, harmony, fulfillment, and reconciliation. Meaning, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, he is therefore the, the bringer of completeness. The bringer of completeness in your life. 
So how does Jesus bring this completeness to our lives? I want to share with you Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, until Jesus came along, there was hostility not only between each other, between person against person, but there was also hostility between us and God. There was a massive wall of sin, this barrier of sin between us, sinful us, and our holy, perfect God. But then Jesus comes, thanks be to God, as our ultimate gift. And he comes to bear the penalty of death for our sins on the cross. And in so doing, it's like he takes a sledgehammer to that barrier, that wall of sin between us and our holy God. And that then, that wall is removed. Shalom comes in, you see. Peace between us and God comes in. Peace comes between each other as well. Harmony, completeness, fulfillment, reconciliation, all of these things happen because of the cross of the Prince of Peace. I want to ask you, I don't know where things are at. As I mentioned, Christmas can be a tough time. It can be remind us of hostility from years past. It can, maybe we've lost family members in and around this time. And so every time Christmas comes along, that comes to mind and memory, and, and there's grief associated with, with Christmas. And Well, let's just talk about our lives in general. Let's first talk about our families. Let's talk about our marriages, for example. And sometimes what happens at Christmas as well is the, the stress of Christmas and the insanity of all that's happening at Christmas can force marital issues back up to the surface again. And those are challenging, let me tell you. But here's the hope. Because of the Prince of Peace, um, if we turn to him for help and rescue in marital difficulty, he can bring peace back to your marriage relationship, back to your family relationships. He can rescue you out of you, out of that hostile situation if you turn to him, if you trust in him, if you repent of your sin in that situation. Another example. It might feel in general, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but like there's conflict, like, like a war within. You feel at odds. You feel like, man, there's a huge distance. I mean, I talk about God. I want God, but it feels like there's a, a million miles distance between me and God. And I'm saying the offer is there for that wall of hostility to be removed, that sin of yours to be removed. The offer is there if you turn to Christ, the Prince of Peace, let him tear down that wall. Remember Reagan saying, tear down that wall. To Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Well, Jesus is saying, let me tear down that wall of sin between you and your holy God, the one who made you, the one who loves you like no other. I'm trying to make you and, and the Father right. So come to me. Come to me as the Prince of Peace. I'll tear down that wall. I will bring shalom to your human relationships. I will bring shalom to your relationship with God. Come to me, is what he's saying at Christmas. I, I want to ask you, what area of your life Today, is there a lack of shalom? You know, a lot of us just have these outstanding conflicts with coworkers, family members, whoever. 
I'm saying this is the time to, to seek shalom in those relationships. And Christ, as your Prince of Peace, is the one who can bring shalom back to those relationships. He is the one you need. He's the ultimate gift that you must receive, that you must trust in each and every day. I want to close with a quote from a Bible commentator just to land the plane. You ready for this? This is really good stuff. He writes, As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love how tender and good and rescuing you are towards us. I love how you are the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, bringing all of these good things into our lives. Help us to see you this Christmas, to see you today, to see how good and loving and caring and gracious and merciful and compassionate towards us that you really are and how you you went to the cross. You didn't have to. You never sinned. You didn't deserve that horrible death, but you chose the cross to bear, to wear our sins and bear the punishment for those sins in our place. We owe you everything. Uh, Lord, I pray that if someone is here who is new to Christianity or is feeling that great distance between you and their, themselves, that they would turn to you, Jesus, place their trust in you, repent of their sins, and seek baptism. I pray that if that person is here today, that they would have a conversation with me or with somebody uh, to take those next steps uh, towards you. Lord, we come to you today at the time of the Lord's Supper, to remember and celebrate all that you've done for us in and through and by the gospel. Um, I pray that this is a great time of, uh, of just celebrating uh, all that you've done for us, and we love you for it. In Christ's name, amen.